life to the full, life in 4K. Do you guys remember the first time you got an HD TV? Do you remember that day? As one of the greatest days of your life. Let's be honest, right? I remember many, many years ago, it was Pastor Appreciation Month, and I was leading a church that I had planted back in, in my 20s, and one of our, uh, kind of our head, uh, you know, uh, volunteer guys showed up at my house, and he brought me a brand new 40-inch plasma HDTV for Pastor Appreciation Month, which was quite the appreciation gift, if I do say so myself. And Josh and I were talking during a deep time of prayer this morning, actually, and fasting for quite some weeks, and uh, we feel if anybody says, feels like the Lord is speaking to them about this year, Pastor Appreciation, we believe that the Lord is in that. If you want to bring us somewhere over a 60-inch would be a preferable these days, but no. So I remember we got the TV out, we set the whole thing up, and I never had HDTV before, and we hung it on the wall. My wife and I, we plugged it in, and we turned on our HDTV, and the first show that came on, our brand new HDTV, was the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. <laughs> And I was like, it's so clear, honey. It, it was weird, though, because Justin Timberlake, I remember he was singing, and they were doing like some close-up shots on JT's face, and I could see dust particles in the background. And I was like, babe, I'm like, you can see dust. I mean, look how clear it is. And she was like, yes, Darren, I, I see the dust turn the station. So well, it was very quickly turned. But, but now I find many years later that if I'm at someone's house, and if this happened to you, and they have an HD, you know, capable TV, because they all are HD now. But if you've ever been to somebody's house that they have an HD TV, and for some unforeseen, un-American, ungodly reason, they don't have it on the HD channel. Have you been there, right? And you think to yourself in that moment, I don't know that we can be friends anymore or, or if I can stay in your home any longer. Like I remember going to a friend's house and like I knew that their TV was HD, but we were watching the Colts game in standard definition. And I was like, I, I don't know what's happening right now, right? And so I think, you know, if, if I get really fired up about HD TV, but, but what I think that a lot of us are doing is that spiritually, right? we're talking about life in 4K, stop living your life in standard definition, is that I believe that many of us, we, we have forgotten that we are actually equipped to live like a 4K HD life as Christians. But for some reason, most of us, I think, are choosing to live a standard definition life. And I think what's causing us to do that is fear. And so this morning's sermon, it's not necessarily about like, salvation. Like if you know Jesus, like this isn't like, hey, you need to know what I'm going to teach you today so you can go to heaven. It's really about satisfaction. And I know we don't talk about this in church. It's tough not to admit this because you feel like you shouldn't, whatever, maybe. But I think there's a lot of us that are following Jesus and we're not all that satisfied with that. Like last week, Josh let, read the scripture, right? That's the kind of core of this series, right? Where it says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, this is Jesus speaking, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so you hear that and you're like, oh God, Jesus wants to bring me life to the full. But what I, I think sometimes I feel, and maybe you feel this way, is like, well, where does the fullness show up? Like, when's it gonna start looking full? Because right now I see a lot of empty in my life, and I'm doing, trying to do all the right stuff. So where does the fullness show up? Because I'm afraid if we don't know where we're looking for it, we may never find it. So like maybe it, 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 it shows up with more nice stuff. Life to the full will happen when I have a better car. Like something like this maybe. Like if this is parked in the driveway next month, boom, right? That is life to the full. Praise the Lord. I know the Holy Spirit is working in my life. I'm driving that, right? But you remember your first car? I remember 
One of the first cars I drove was a 77 Thunderbird. It was, it was a car, the car was so long, you had to have a boat license just to drive it. It was that long. Like to pull into a parking space, you had to start parking like sometime in the week before that to get around and park into. It was terrible, okay? And my buddy Sean, my buddy Sean Harris, he had a Datsun 210. Does anybody know what a Datsun 210 is? It's a piece of garbage car that looks like a turtle, right? And my friend Sean's car was actually green with an orange, with a yellow top. So we literally looked like we were driving around in a turtle in high school, all right? But we put this big like 15 inch subwoofer in the trunk, right? And we're just cranking like late nineties gangster rap in this Datsun 210. Had to ask for forgiveness for quite a bit of that. Uh, and, but anyway, in the, when the bass would hit, Sean's entire car would shake. And there were times where pieces of the inside of the car fell apart as we were driving it, right? Car was terrible, but life was full. We were driving around, high school kids going to lunch and school, and it was high school, it was awesome. So it's probably not the car, but what about the job? What if I, get, I gotta get a powerful job? I, I need to be a CO or a CF or a, just a C-level something, VP. I need a lot of power. I need to make it happen. If I'm telling people what to do, then I would know that Jesus is in my life and it's life to the full because I am a big time person. Although I do remember jobs that I've had that I didn't even really like the job. Maybe I even kind of hated it, but like, I really loved the people I worked with. And like the job kind of was crappy, but life was full because these people I hung out with. So maybe it's not the cars, maybe it's not the job, but I know life will come to the full if the bank account was full. Then I know that Jesus loves me and I'm seeing the 4K life when I'm seeing many, many zeros after that bank account, right? If I had just a little bit money, just, just enough money that I didn't have to have more money, then I would have it. Then it would be great. That is life to the full, cha-ching. Except I can remember when I first graduated from college, First job I took was an internship, and I made $8,000 that year for the entire year, $8,000. And I can remember that year I lived with my brother and one of my best friends in his apartment over in, in Castleton, and it was that year that I met Julie. We fell in love that year, and somehow I paid for us to go on dates, and somehow I found enough money to, to buy a ring, and we got engaged. And I tell you what, man, I look back on that year and all year long, the bank account was empty, but life was really, really full. So how about this? It's not the money. It's not the car. It's not the job. If problems would go away, then I would know that life is to the full and that Jesus is at work in my life. If I could just get rid of all of these stinking problems in my life. And then you read scriptures that say stuff like this in James 1. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true color. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. How many of you this week when you had a problem in your life were like, praise God, he's at work in my life, testing challenges, woo! Like, not me. And it's not even little stuff. This isn't like, you know, this morning you tried to pop your Keurig in there and get your cup of coffee in 30 seconds and it didn't work and you were like, where is God at work, right? It's not when problems happen with like stuff. Like I think what this is talking about is when you have the tests and challenges that, that, that really make my life feel like a test and challenge, I don't know, but you, is the problems are with people, right? 
I mean, it's not like he's necessarily saying, hey, when stuff happens and you need to get new brakes on the car, or maybe it's stuff like that, but I, I think the stuff that really starts to feel like it's emptying my life or filling it up is when I find myself having tests and challenges in the context of relationships. So if I have all my problems that you're probably thinking about, are your problems go away, guess what else goes away? All of the people in your life go away as well. And I don't think life to the full means a life of isolation and loneliness, right? So what does it mean? And how do I know my life is getting fuller? If I don't have more money, a nicer car, a different job, and I still have problems. Well, this might sound way too simple, but here's what I think. We're going to journey in it for another 20 minutes today. I think that a life and a life to the full that Jesus said he came to give us is a life full of love. Okay. That's pretty simple there. It is. But let's unpack a little bit what that looks like. Okay. Life and life to the full is a life full of love. If you look at this in the Bible, right, I think one of the ways that we see what the highest motivation in our life is, is by the way that we react to the tests and trials in our life in the context of relationships. That's what I'm saying here. I think the way you see the greatest motivation for your life is based on how you react to tests and challenges in the context of relationships. So when you get into an argument with your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your siblings, whatever it is, when you react in conflict, you're reacting out of that which is your core core value. And if it's love, you move towards filling your life up with more love. If it's not, you follow a counterfeit or standard definition version of love. And we're going to unpack that today. But here's the deal. Here's why I think this is true. This is what James 4 says. It says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from, right? Where do these conflicts come from in our life, he says. Do you think they just happen? Sometimes I think we think that. Like stuff happens in our life, struggles with friends, spouses, parents, coworkers. And we're just like, if you find yourself in conflict often in your life, sometimes you're just like, how does this even happen? Why am I always in an argument with such and such? Well, there's a reason. And this is what the Bible says. Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep within yourself. That's about power. Okay? We're going to come back to that word in a minute. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. That's about provision. You want what isn't yours and you're willing to risk violence to get your hands on it. That's about popularity. And you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? Why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each one in your own way. Ouch. Spoiled children. I I think we often look like that. See, the way to living a full life is living a life of love. But there are three counterfeit ways that the devil has been using since the beginning of humanity to lead us away from HD life to live in standard definition. And we'll summarize them with three words to start with P because alliteration is fun and helps you remember. So that's what we're going with. Okay. Instead of love, we, we struggle with three counterfeits way of love. They're the way of power, 
the way of popularity, and the way of provision. Now, this metrics that I'm going to teach you through today is called the grace and truth metrics. If you've been in a huddle here at Mercy Road, you've learned this. If you haven't, someday you'll be in a huddle, you'll learn this. But this is starting to transform the way I function in relationships, okay? And so here's the deal. We have to understand the fact that there are three ways against love. And it comes from, the, uh, it, it, like I said, it's the same temptations that, that the devil gave Eve, the same temptations that, that the devil used with Jesus when he was tempted. And it's the same three that John says here in 1 John 2 when he says this. Don't love the, way, don't love the world's ways, right? Not Jesus' way. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. The love of the world squeezes out love of the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, listen to this, wanting your own way, wanting, what, wanting everything for yourself and wanting to appear important. These are the three things that lead you away from love. They are the core desire of your heart. Wanting your own way, power. Wanting everything for yourself, provision. Wanting to appear important, that's popularity. And they have nothing to do with the Father. They just isolate us from him. So before we look at the counterfeit ways, let's jump real quick and look at what it looks like to live a life full of love. And that upper white quadrant means that your life is full of love, meaning it is full of grace and full of truth. I've lived most of my life until the past three or four years thinking that grace and truth were a continuum, that you had to choose from one or the other in relationships. So either you get justice and truth for me or you get mercy, but you can't have them both at the same time. And that makes relationships very difficult, isn't it? Because you're dealing with everything going on in you. You're not sure, do I be really harsh right now and really tell them the truth or I try to be really nice right now? I'm not sure which one I should do. But in Jesus, it says this in, first, in John chapter 1. It says the word, talking about Jesus, became a human and lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the, one, to the only son of the father. And he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth at the same time. That's how Jesus loved. And when you love that way, what you do in conflict is you face it. That's your, that's your core gut reaction. I want you to think as we go for the rest of the sermon today, I want you to think right now of a conflict you are in this week, a problem with your marriage, with your kids, at work, something, something, conflict that you had this week. And I want you to trace back when it started the, the, the primal kind of visceral reaction you had to conflict is what I want you to try to dial into as we go through this metrics. Because if your number one core value, the highest wall of your life is like Jesus and it's love, when there's conflict, you will face it. Even in the face of fear, you will move towards someone and towards the conflict. When you do that, what you do is you create a relational environment where you call people in to deeper relationships, deeper understanding and love, and you call people up to become who God created them to be. We see Jesus doing this in every interaction he had. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, as he dealt with the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and, the, and, and all of it. You saw him face conflict full of grace and full of truth and call people into deeper relationship. And I don't know about you, but in my life, if I could manage to do that, that every conflict I had with my wife ended with us calling each other into deeper understanding and love with my kids that every time we had a conflict and had to work through something that 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 conflict ended and they experienced me calling them into greater trust and love as a father and calling them up into everything that god would have for them imagine going to work and if you're a supervisor or you're being supervised being in an environment where you have conflict at work but those conflict ends and they're so full of grace and truth that you feel called into deeper understanding and relationship and love and called up to become everything 
thing that God created you to be. If in every environment of a relationship, that's what we could be experiencing, in my opinion, keep the car and the job and the new house and all the money because my life would be full because it would be overwhelming with the beauty and the peace, the purpose, the passion that is love. And that's what we see in Jesus and all that he did in the way that he acted, the way that he loved. And it's what we're instructed to do as well. And John, first John chapter four, it says this, my beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. And so you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage we've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. Here's the deal. There was a major conflict relationally between us and God. It's called sin. We were separated from him. Because Jesus operates in the fullness of love and the fullness of grace and truth, he didn't flee from our problem. He didn't come and try to fight us and overpower us. He didn't come to earth and live just to be popular and have everybody like him. But he faced the the situation of our sin and our separation and full of grace and truth. He loved us first and reconciled our relationship between him and the Father so that we could live in the fullness of love and learn to reconcile relationships one to another. And it's our ability to do that, the Bible says, that shows this world that we are his disciples, correct? So if we're going to live in grace and truth, what's going to happen is we're going to come from the place of our true identity, that you know that you are a dearly loved son or daughter of God, that you are completely accepted and forgiven, that he approves of you, that he loves you, that he finds you significant enough to give his life and then send his very spirit to you, in you, for you to become the person that he's created you to be. When you walk in the fullness of that love, what you do is that identity allows you to move into each day with the security to know that I don't have to fear anything because I have nothing to prove. I have no one to please and I have nothing to protect because of who I am in Christ. That's what the scripture continues to say is that in love, fear doesn't exist. It says this, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house and becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is not one yet fully formed in love. We love and are going to love, loved and be loved because we were loved first. Here's the deal, guys. Love fills our life to the full. Fear empties our life. When we live in the upper white quadrant, that our life is full of grace, full of truth, we're secure enough and not driven by fear that we can face the conflict that we have with our wife, with our kid, with our mother-in-law, with our coworkers, whatever it may be, because we know we are secure in God's love, we can face it and move to it without fear. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way of love. 
the more that we live there, the fuller our life becomes. Now, my guess is that we all operate out of the other three quadrants most often. See if you can find yourself as we go through the description. Let's start in the top left quadrant. This is someone who's full of a ton of grace, but very little truth. The drive here, right? The drive of your life, the core core value that you have that you don't realize is popularity. The lie the devil has told you. Remember I said the the devil came to, to lie, steal, and destroy, right? He has lied to you, and the lie you have bought into, if this is you, is <clears throat> that I am what others think of me. I am what others think of me. Therefore, I must make and keep people happy. Okay? If this is you, it's a very, very big deal how many likes and dislikes and stuff you get on Instagram. For you in this, it's very important in conflicts that it ends with you losing and the other person winning so you keep them happy. When you get into conflict, what you'll notice is the number one thing that you do, the first gut reaction you have is, I can fix this. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And you have to fix it because the lie you've bought in about your identity is that you are what people think of you. Here's how fixing it sounds. Hey, remember you you said you're going to call me and then you didn't call me and it was kind of important that you call me, but it's no big deal. I'll I'll fix it. No big deal. Hey, so we've, the project was due Friday and you need to have that, the emails in the whole project because it's big for the company for us to have that kind of stuff. And then you made me look stupid when I went to the meeting because I didn't have the stuff I needed from you because you said you would give it, but you know, it's no big deal. I'll fix it. Hey, um, so we've been married for three years and you've never taken me on a date and I kind of like to feel loved, and, but it's no big deal. I'll fix it. I'll just be by myself. It's no problem. Or it's, hey, you're still abusing drugs and alcohol, and I'm having to go behind you and fix all of your problems and all the stuff that's happening, but, but, but it's okay. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. It becomes what, what, we, what we know this term as codependent. And the struggle here is what you create in this is you create a hangout culture in your life where you're not bringing truth. You're not speaking your feelings and what you need in a relationship. You're not being honest with the people that you love. And so things just stay very surfacey with you. People love hanging out with you because it's tons of grace, but there's not a lot of truth. And here's the deception the devil gets us in this one. Every one of our souls, guys, was created and designed to experience the depth of love, that full HD type of love. But if you live in a life of all grace and no truth in a hangout culture, that what happens is all of your relationships stay so shallow that you're lonely all of the time, but you can't figure out how to really develop and experience the depth of relationship because you'll never take the risk of speaking the truth because you're afraid someone won't like you. If that's you, you're living in standard definition. God has more for you. Here's a practical step if you live in that popularity quadrant. Spend time alone asking God to help you understand and feel and receive his affection and approval. You are not what people think about you. You are who Jesus says you are, period. Spend time alone allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you into that. And then I would encourage you, look at the problems in your life and begin to move forward in them, realizing that they are a shared project with the people in your life. The problems in your life are not just yours. They are shared. 
and begin to take the risk to speak truth with love. Next one. How about if you're in the lower left? This is about, uh, this is no grace and no truth. Okay? So it's a no grace, no truth, and you're driven by provision in this one. The, the lie that you believe in this quadrant is this. I am what I have, therefore I must protect everything. I am what I have, so I'm my possessions, I'm my car, I'm my clothes, I'm my perceptions, I'm my money, I'm my stuff, and I give my life to preserve and protect my stuff because that's what I believe I am. In this one, we, your reaction to, to conflict is to flee it. The reason is because conflict takes from you your energy and your time, and you're not sure you can risk that. And so conflict comes, I check out, don't have time for it, got to go do some more stuff to get some more provision. A lot of times in our culture, if someone is very driven, moving towards success, what they can do is they don't realize they're driven by this lie that I am what I have. And so what they do, the way they check out relationally is they pour themselves into providing a better life for their family and never actually being present relationally. And if they're successful, they get everything in the world that they could provide. But the culture they've created is a culture where everyone is checked out. And so their relationships are very, very shallow. Boats and houses and cars and stuff is fun, but they're only really fun if you have somebody to love with them. No grace, no truth. It's a lose-lose quadrant. If this is you, I'd ask you to begin to ask God to give you wisdom to know how to enter into conflict and the courage to do so. Like, this is scary stuff because those other three quadrants are all about fear. So when the tests and trials come into your life, which just means the relationships you have right now and how they're hard, that's where God's wanting to show up and give you life to the full, that you can move out of a culture that's checked out. Stop fleeing conflict and say, I am not what I have. I am who Jesus says I am, and I have all things in him. That is truth about me. Therefore, I can move towards love and relationship. The last one. The last one is that bottom one. This is about power, okay? In this, you have all truth, no grace, right? This is someone that likes to live like this, right? I will find all of your faults. And I want justice for you and your mess-ups. I would like mercy for mine. Thank you very much. This person, if it, their, their core value is power or control. And so to stay in control, the, the lie they believe is this. The lie they believe is this. I am what I accomplish. I am what I accomplish. Therefore, everything is a competition. So when we get in conflict in our marriage or with my kids or with my coworkers or with my parents, the immediate reaction to conflict is, I will win this and guess who's going to lose? You are. And I'm ready to fight because I must protect and I must accomplish. And if I lose, I can't handle that because I've bought into the fact that I am what I accomplish. In this, the struggle is it's never enough. You could have the greatest day at work ever or things are just so wonderful and you feel like I really did it. And the devil will say to you, ah, you think you did enough? If you're really significant, you would have done better. 
And this, we fight. It's a call-out culture. Very stressful, difficult relationships. Conflict seems to follow you constantly, and you go, where are these problems coming from? This is my third job in five years, and I have the same problems. I'm going to say this. This is tough to hear. If everybody has the same problem when you're around, you might be the problem, right? And you don't realize it because you're just reacting out of fear and because you've bought into this lie the devil gave you that, hey, you are what you accomplish, not you are who Jesus says you are and you are forgiven and you are enough and you are significant in him. Because if everything he did for you well before you earned it, could deserve it, because he loves you. The tough part about this one is it's the same thing with all of them. Is your soul is created to be full to the brim of love. But if your core value and fear is power, you will control things around you and call out all the things you see wrong as a defense mechanism to deal with your own pain and you'll find yourself empty with shallow relationships and wondering where God is at in your life because all you keep seeing is trials and conflict. But friends, the trials and the conflict are Jesus's invitation to step into grace and truth and to begin to see life and life to the full. Practical step for a power person is to begin seeing people as people and problems as problems. Oftentimes when we're power people, what we do is we see people as the problem. My husband is the problem. My wife is the problem. My boss is the problem. My kids are the problem. My mother-in-law is the problem. No, because then we don't give them grace and invite them into relationship. People are people and problems are problems. And when we treat people as people, oftentimes the problems take care of themselves. So the practical step for that is to begin seeing problems as problems and people as people and increase your grace. Here's the deal, guys. This is, that's a lot of information. Take that picture, live in it, because I find myself using this every single day of my life. I used it this week because um, I really stepped in it this week. Um, As you can tell, I love the sound of my own voice. I love talking. And uh, I love making people laugh. And so I spoke somewhere this week to some people about some topic. Uh, I'm staying broad so I don't offend anybody else this week. And as I'm up talking, I'm, 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 I'm ranting and making a joke about a, something. And I thought it was funny and the audience thought it was funny. Everybody was laughing. But one person didn't think it was funny at all. And uh, within a couple of hours of, of me getting home, I had a really long email from this person letting me know how unfunny I was and how classless my humor was and uh, lots of other comments about me and probably my misperception of children. And it, it, was, it was a tough email to read. And uh, for me, what happens is when I get that conflict, right? Like I said, that, that first visceral primal reaction For me, I'm usually a fleer. Forget it, not dealing with it. See you later, got stuff to do. Is I flee from it 
or I'll try to fix it. So I went through all of these this week, right? Where the email, the first, actually the email first came in and I read it and I was like, oh, I got a response for you. How about you die? Sent, right? And I was like, that probably not of the Lord. Didn't send it. Uh, I didn't even type it, but I thought it, right? I wanted to fight. Like, you don't know. You don't know me. And I was like, no. And then I went up to to popularity because I live there a lot. And with that one, there's, it's no truth. It's just grace. So the email for that one would have sounded like this. You're right. I'm so stupid. You're smart. I'm dumb. You're skinny. I'm fat. You're uh, pretty. I'm ugly. I smell. I'm so sorry. I'll never speak again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Send. Like, fix it. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. Fix it. And then there was part of me that wanted to flee and just be like, uh, you know what? I don't care about that person. I don't know him. Forget him. I'm not, I, don't, I don't have time to send an email for your stupid why you are offended. Take a joke. Stupid. Send right? And then I was writing this stupid sermon this week. So, <laughs> so I stopped and I was like, all right, what's going on inside of me? And I took enough time to be reflective and go, all right, Jesus, what would a response that it's full of grace and full of truth look like? And the cool part is I was courageous enough because I knew, okay, Jesus, I'm not what people think about me. So if I send this email and I do speak some truth to this lady, if she doesn't like me when it's over, that's okay. Because I've done the best I can to love and to speak truth and, and you still love me. So I could actually say some opinions that I wouldn't really have said before and it felt really good. And then I stopped long enough to allow her to be a person, not a problem, and spoke to the issue. And then after I sent the email... I got a chance to actually talk to her on the phone and it was kind of tense and weird. But at the end of it, I I hung up the phone and I thought, you know what? I think maybe my life is a little fuller right now than it was before this conflict because I somehow managed to get into the little bottom corner of grace and truth in this conflict. This takes a long time, a long time to figure out And many of you are going to be way too scared to figure out where you live in this. Let me speak this. You are dearly loved children of God. And he approves of you. And you are significant. And you have nothing to prove. And no one to please. And nothing to protect because of who you are in Christ. And you are an HD high definition human being called to live in this world to show the world what love looks like in high definition please don't allow fear to steal from you the life the life to the full that you are created for that you are redeemed for that you are empowered for Jesus this is scary stuff learning to love it's um to deal with our brokenness, to deal with the lies we've bought into, the personas we've constructed, to deal with the shame and the guilt and the fear of our life. God, that is so of the devil and it's absolute lies. And I just ask in the name of Jesus that, that, Father, we would become a community of grace and truth, that we'd become courageous enough to step into your love and to be loved well and to be loved fully by you so that we can reject the lies. Father, we are not what we have. We are not what people think about us. We are not what we accomplish. We are who you 
have called us and created us to be. We are your sons and daughters and we are loved. And I pray in that peace and that security that we'd see a culture of grace and truth in our marriages, in our parenting, in our workplaces. And as a result, the people of Mercy Road, the people of your kingdom would allow this city to see what it looks like when love is high definition. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.